want to welcome you to our services today. Thank you so much for tuning in at, to uh, Berkeley Evangelistic Association. We appreciate your faithfulness and coming back and tuning us in each and every time. And we just praise God for you and thank Him for uh, blessings upon you is what we pray every day. Father, I thank you that these come each and every time to hear your word and these teachings. But we want to welcome you back today. We're going to continue with our series that we've been doing on spiritual sickness. And we come to lesson number five, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now I want to point out in this lesson, uh, a direct focus is on the false teaching that is found in many churches that causes many people confusion. There are many confused and misguided ministers who want to claim Paul had a physical sickness or a disease or even a disability that was from God. And since he endured this with such great patience and humility that we should also submit to the will of God and endure it the same way. Now, I believe based on this study that there are actually uh, people teaching this uh, as if it was a message from God or if it was some Bible verse. They have theorized that since the Bible says that Paul was struck down blind on the road to Damascus by the bright light coming from Jesus, that he had continuing and ongoing eyesight problems, which followed him into his maturing years, caused, and it was caused by God. They even use a verse found in Galatians 6, verse 11. So it says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, thank Him for this day that we have and this lesson we have the opportunity to study, and then we'll get right into our lesson. Lord, we thank You for the day that You've given us and all the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us throughout the years. Father, thank you for your word and its uh, true meaning of life to us and it feeds us each and every day. Father, when I get up in the morning, you're on my mind. When I go to bed at night, you're on my mind. And all during the day, I'm lifting up your name and praising you. And Father, I thank you for all that you do in my life. Thank you for this ministry, Lord, that you have blessed it beyond my wildest imagination that I never even thought that it would come to fruition like it has. Uh, and I just praise you for that. Father, help us to continue to spread the gospel, the word of Jesus uh, around the world. Lord, that people may hear the word, the truth, and, be, and come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. Bless this lesson now, Lord, as we go into it. We pray that you'd be with us. Open our minds and our hearts that we might understand, Lord, and teach us with your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in, your, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul makes a, the above statement about the large letters uh, that I have written with unto you. To say Paul was using Greek letters that were written extra large to allow him to see them. Now, I know we can make the Bible say whatever we might want it to say or need it to say to support our thoughts. And I personally believe that in Galatians 6, 11, Paul refer, was referring to that the amount of information covered in this letter. 
to the Galatians was its great size. And I believe that he was not talking about the size of his handwriting. Because, see, you say, you see what a large letter, but in the, in the verse it says, see what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. But it says, you see, but the, it should have said, you see what a large letter that I have written unto you. So, at any rate, God knows what the problem was. And we're going to find out in a little bit that God didn't give Paul uh, any disability. And Paul was referring uh, to, like I said, to the amount of information that he was relaying to the Galatians in the letter. And it could also be stated here that Paul was referring to the intensity of what he was saying to the Galatians and that he was correcting them and reflecting his great affection for them all. But you can believe whatever you like, as I did, and be wrong, as I was. Before I began this intense study of Paul, I too thought that this thorn in the flesh was a serious eye problem. I came to this conclusion based on the events that happened on Damascus Road. The brilliance of seeing Jesus in his glorified form would be like the sun. So Jesus had caused scales to form on his eyes to protect the eye from burning out. Because it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 17 through 18, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laid his hands on Paul, or him, and he said, Brother, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So now let's look at a controversial verse written in 2 Corinthians and see exactly what it says about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. And least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Okay, now here it is. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. I want to start this lesson with an emphasized point given to us by why Paul had this thorn. Instead of trying to determine what the thorn is, or who gave it to him, let us focus only on the fact why it was there. I actually believe that this reason why it was present is more important than Paul having a thorn. You can clearly read in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, where Paul said this thorn was present because of the abundance of the revelations, and we discussed the definition of revelations in an earlier chapter, that were given to him. You may be thinking, really? You can begin today by asking yourself this. Are you a Paul? Am I a Paul? How many revelations have you been given or have I been given in the past 10 to 20 years? Now, remember, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament by revelation. Is it possible for me or you to do this? If you have not been given the same number of revelations as Paul, then you are not a Paul, and neither am I. And you do not qualify to have a thorn. 
I really do not care what the thorn is right now. If it is a sickness or a disease, you must ask yourself why you are sick or why I get sick. And if you can say it is because of the abundance of revelations that I or you have been given by Jesus, then you are potentially the same as Paul. Otherwise, if you have not been given abundant revelations from God, then you do not qualify for a thorn. This is very simple logic based upon the words of the scripture. This father makes it just so simple to determine now if you even qualify to have a thorn. God was intelligent enough to write you and tell you why there was a thorn. And then you must be intelligent enough to figure out if you are eligible for the thorn. Based upon the information, the vast majority of people teaching, preaching, and hearing this verse, do not, will not, or ever will they qualify for it. Later, we will examine what a thorn is using the Bible. But for now, I want you to look at yourself, and myself included, and make a count of how many revelations we may have been given. If there are so many that you can't count them all, count them all up or you don't remember, then you are qualified. Maybe I should stop and define what a revelation is so you can better understand the concept. A revelation is a New Testament concept. The word revelation occurs only 10 times in the New Testament. Of course, there is a book in the Bible called Revelations, and this is the final book of the Bible that describes the end of time. There are no direct revelations given in the Old Testament that I know of. But do not misunderstand what I'm saying. God did have prophets in the Old Testament that were given words to speak from God, but if the prophets understood the words, it would shock me tremendously. Let me give you the definition of the Greek word from the Strong's that is translated as revelation so that you see what it means. It's from G601, called disclosure, appearing, coming, lighten, manifestation, be revealed, revelation. The Greek word translated as revelation is from another Greek word that means to take off the cover. There is a clear implication given to us that the word of God had a cover on it. So a revelation is a revealing of the word of God. This, of course, further implies that the Word of God was a vastly hidden complex spiritual set of information that needs to be uncovered for us to understand it. It would be like when a, wa a waiter in a restaurant brings out a covered dish to your table for, you, for your food, and you do not know what it is until they take off the lid and reveal it. This was how the Old Testament was written. It had a covering over it that did not permit any man to understand the true meanings that it contained. These are techniques that God implemented in his word using his extreme intelligence that allowed him to use words that we can clearly read, but yet the way they were presented to us, it is almost impossible to understand them correctly until the Spirit of God reveals them to us. Let me give you some more scriptures from Galatians about this subject to show you more about the concepts of revelations. 
Let me show you where Paul said he got what he taught from the Bible. Now go with me to Galatians chapter 1, verse number 11. And Paul says here, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. In other words, he did not get it from man. Paul is talking about the gospel that was preached that he was preaching to the people on the earth, and he tells you that these words did not come from any man. This is just another way of telling you he didn't learn it from a church denomination, a Sunday school class, a seminary class, or even another preacher. These are usually the institutions which teach the doctrines of men. You see, many churches in the world today only know how to teach lessons that they've learned from other men, and they have no spiritual substance or value to them. These types of men are not led by the Spirit of God. They are usually led by books, calendars, denominational plans and lessons, and other doctrines of men. These are most always taught and presented in colleges and seminaries alike. Now please understand, I am not condemning the institutions of learning and for their education. But I am saying that all preachers, I believe, do not possess the Holy Spirit and the calling to this sacred and holy position. Paul tells you exactly where he got his message, and it is not from any of these usual places. Now in Galatians chapter 1, we go down one verse, verse 12. He says, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ came to you one day and taught you something awesome in the Bible, what would have been Jesus' purpose for doing this? Is it just for you alone? Why do you think that Jesus gave Paul such great revelation of the Word of God? Was it for Paul personally to grow up spiritually and no one else? Of course not. Paul was called by God to be a teacher of the Word of God, and so Jesus came and taught him what to teach. Can Jesus still do this today? I truly believe that he can and has. God never changes. Did you know it makes all the difference in the world where your preacher got his message, which he teaches you on Sunday morning? If it comes from a book other than the Bible, it is worthless, no matter how entertaining it might be. We can clearly see that Paul claims to have been taught by Jesus Christ and the message that he taught was the words of Jesus and not the words of Paul or any other man. We're definitely starting to understand why Paul had a thorn in the flesh, even though we still don't know or have a clue what it was. Before I move on in the subject, let me show you more about what a revelation is. If we look in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, it says how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. As you can read a revelation is implied understanding of a hidden mystery. A mystery is always a secret something that is not clearly made known until the ending. If you have uh, ever read a mystery novel, then that is what I'm talking about. The ending of the book almost always reveals the surprise. You can try to read it, and you can think on it, and you can attempt to figure it out, but until it is revealed, 
it rarely is the right conclusion in your mind to what really happens in any really good mystery story. If you can read a book and figure out the ending before it happens, then it's not a good mystery story. God's Old Testament was the greatest mystery story of all times. It was complex, twisted, and turns, and unexpected things happen like God comes to the earth in the flesh when no one expected him to show up this way. Jesus, instead of fighting with a sword and conquering the world's kingdoms, he, had, uh, he came to the earth to die, and no one expected that. Jesus, at his trial, does not even defend himself in the court. And he's convicted of no crimes and yet sentenced to die on a cross like a criminal. These are some of the greatest mysteries of God and also why Satan did not know what to do with him. While Jesus walked on the earth in the flesh, he starts speaking to the people in parables that told of hidden spiritual things that had kept, uh, been kept secret since the foundation of the world. And this was clearly the start of the unveiling of the mystery of God. Jesus started revealing these mysteries to his disciples when he walked among us. And then Jesus later appeared to Paul and taught him some more of the mysteries of the Old Testament. This book about Christ is the greatest mystery book that you will ever attempt to understand. The complex hidden spiritual things in this book will cause you to scratch your head and wonder how did I, do, how did I not see that? Or say, what did that say? Saul, who became Paul, was a serious Bible student before he ever understood what he was reading. Saul was a devoted, devoted religious man of the order of the Pharisees. It was only after Saul was struck down blind on the road to Damascus and the man of God came to him and restored his eyesight and he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God in Acts 9 17 that Paul even began to understand the mysteries of the Bible so that he could teach them. Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. As you can see, the mystery was not made known to men before in the Old Testament. But God has revealed them to us through his apostles and prophets by his Spirit. This is a foundational key to understanding if you qualify to have a thorn like Paul. I gave you the background information that is very relevant to making this determination. If you determine you are a Paul and can have a thorn like him, then let's stop and figure out what this thorn was. Let's read our foundational verse for this lesson. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, least I should be exalted above measure. We need only focus in on this, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Paul describes this thorn as a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. It is first important to note that whatever this thorn was, it came from Satan and not from God. The term messenger in the Greek can mean angel or a preacher. It is someone who carries a message. Angels or messengers can be sent by God 
or in this case, they can also see, be sent by Satan. An angel is, of course, a spiritual being. And you must realize, in order to understand the spiritual kingdoms that exist, Satan has angels under his control also. God has a spiritual kingdom and Satan has a spiritual kingdom. And both of these kingdoms have angels. You can read about these angels in a spiritual war uh, with each other in Revelations chapter 12 and also in Daniel chapter 10. However, I'm not convinced that Paul's thorn was an angel of Satan. I am more inclined to believe that Paul, who knew the Old Testament, was speaking in Bible figurative terms, much like we do today in our modern language. When he was describing a thorn in his flesh, here is an Old Testament verse that Paul no doubt knew, and it contains a definition of what a thorn in the flesh meant. Now look in Numbers chapter 33, uh, verse 35, or 55, verse 55. And it says, But if ye will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, this is God talking to the Israelites, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. God is using figurative language to describe a people. The children of Israel were instructed by God to drive out the inhabitants of the land and God says, if you do not do this, those that you allow to stay will become major stumbling blocks to you. God uses a term, a prick in your eye or a thorn in your side. And both of these are a way to describe someone who is causing you either emotional pain or spiritual pain, but never a physical pain. In this case, God is warning the children of Israel that these people would cause them to sin against God. They would introduce them to idol worship and other godless religions. God figuratively calls this a pain in their flesh. In, other, in, in our world today, we use this technique of speaking still today to describe people who are causing us emotional distress. We say, she is a real pain in the neck. Let me give you a possible example of this type of person in the Bible that Paul could have been speaking of. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Here in Acts 16, verse 16, Paul and others are going to pray, and a certain demon-possessed woman starts following them around. This certainly qualifies to be a messenger of Satan. A spirit of divination is basically a fortune teller who uses evil spirits to try to tell people the future. We have these confused types of people still in the world today. Now drop down to verse 17 of the Acts 16, and we'll see the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. So as you can see, this woman starts following Paul around and begins to yell to the people. These are the servants of God who show you the way to salvation. 
You cannot read these words in a book and clearly understand the tone that they were spoken in. I can only assume that these words were spoken as mocking words of sarcasm and cynicism. And you see, what else would a demon-possessed woman be saying? Satan does not promote real man of God and tell people how to get saved. Satan is not working to help you out of his, his kingdom and into the kingdom of God. It is very clear to me that Paul was a great man of God who Satan wanted to cause others not to believe his words from God. No, you see, in these verses, an example of how Satan can use a person in the world to be a thorn in your side, as we just read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul, when he describes a thorn in his flesh, is using figurative language to describe someone who was trying to distract him from the assignment that God had given to him to cause him not to teach the revelations of God. Satan was clearly not interested in these revelations getting out. Satan was attempting to stop them before they were spread around the world. I am convinced that Paul's thorn in the flesh was not a physical weakness, was not a sickness, nor a disability or disease. I believe it was Satan's attempt to keep the revelations of God from being proclaimed. Regardless of what the thorn was, it was given to Paul by Satan because of the revelations from Jesus. This means I do not know of anyone in the world today which qualifies to have the same thorn that Paul did. So maybe if you think you have been given a thorn in the flesh and that this is a sickness to keep you humble, then you really need to ask yourself about this and review what revelations you are teaching that will make you a Paul. This was a strange Bible lesson on healing, sickness, and disease. And I want to say I know that, as some of you have come to realize, but you have to count and counter the false teachings with the truth in order to get people to understand that they are not a Paul and they do not have to endure a thorn like Paul did. Please do not allow the teachings of some men on the earth to allow Satan to keep you in the bondage of sickness. If you have been taught that Paul endured physical sickness and prayed to God for him to take it away, from him and God did not therefore you must always endure sickness in your body with the same level of humility say sorry Satan that will not work on me again now please understand 2nd Corinthians 12 9 God told Paul this is the answer to his prayer to remove the thorn in his side and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in your weakness Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There is and always will be a great and powerful lesson to be learned from this Bible verse. Uh, God in heaven richly bless and keep each one of you as we have learned today that hopefully that we know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It wasn't a sickness or a disease given to him by God by no means. Whatever it was, it was given to him by Satan. And Paul said that he was going to endure it because God told him his grace was sufficient 
and that his strength is made perfect in Paul's weakness. And Paul said, therefore, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Thank you, folks, for joining me today. I, I pray this lesson was uh, interesting to you and that it blesses your heart. I know it, uh, it got my thought pattern stimulated as I was studying this, and I, I learned things that I had never heard before, and I, I praise God for that. He opened the door to better understand. Whatever the thorn was that Paul had in his flesh or in his side was not the important issue. The fact of the matter was is that the thorn was given to him by Satan and that God said that his power is made strong through the weakness of us. So through our weakness, God's strength is shown. Thank you very much for being with me today. I pray that uh, God's good to you and that he's blessed you and, and all that you do. And I want to welcome you to come back next time as we'll be, look, we'll be looking at erroneous teaching and the modern church. And thank you once again for being with me. I will have a closing prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, the opportunity we've had once again to study the word, to look into the lessons of this book and to uh, review that with your holy word. And Father, we pray that uh, your spirit will open the hearts and minds of those listening that they will understand that uh, Paul's thorn was a spiritual thorn that was given to him by Satan and it wasn't anything that you did to him in retaliation or nothing that uh, Paul was doing. Paul uh, was a great apostle. He was apostle to the Gentiles and we thank you God that uh, he came and wrote almost all the New Testament, two-thirds of it and Father that through his word we've learned your grace and all the things that we need to know to be uh, better followers of Christ and to be uh, saved and not worry about our salvation because you said that through our confession you're faithful in forgiving us and that you, we would never be, uh, we can never be taken out of your hand. And Father, we thank you for that. Praise God. Lift up the name of Jesus. We give you praise and glory. In his name we pray. Amen.